All the president's men and some women are trying to get as far away from Fawny Willis as possible. All the way to federal court and Judge Jones. Mark Meadows and Jeffrey Clark are first up to try to argue that they belong in federal court, not state for the criminal prosecution against them, and that they are immune from suit altogether, and that they shouldn't even have to bother with being arrested and booked and mugshotted at the Rice Street Jail. How well did that go over with the federal judge this evening? We have the results, so we'll let you know. Then, while Judge McAfee is busy as a bee asserting that he does have jurisdiction over all 19 co-conspirators in the Fulton County Courthouse, setting bond conditions and conditions of relief, a release as they all come in one at a time for a mug shop, we're going to talk about Fulton County because that's really where this criminal trial belongs and where Fawny uh, Willis is prepared to prosecute. And what's going on in Mar-a-Lago these days? That's been awful quiet. And what series of things that Jack Smith's team do to just drive Judge Cannon and Trump's lawyers batty, including driving a wedge between the maintenance worker, the IT guy, and the butler, along with the candlestick maker, butcher, and baker? And then finally, Jack Smith's team fires back at the absurd request by Trump's team before Judge Chutkin in the D.C. Circuit Court to have his trial there about election interference happen in April of 2026. And so much more. And we have sponsors for our pro-democracy legal and political analysis. And I am joined as always. I'm Michael Popak with my co-anchor, Karen Friedman Agnifilo. Hi, Karen. Hello. How are you? I'm doing great. We were we were talking pre-show as we're doing hot takes today that it's almost an embarrassment of riches how much content, because we look at it, this as content, is is out there. So many orders by federal judges, so many filings by the, uh, the Georgia 19, for lack of a better term, as they try to wriggle their way out from under the criminal prosecution of the Georgia criminal case. And then, you know, Jack Smith has and his team have to keep all that straight be consistent with their filings and what they say as they prosecute in two other locations that uh, that we're going to talk about today, Judge Chutkin and in D.C. We have a hearing coming up on the 28th in front of her to set the trial with a bid ask established already as January 2024 for the for the feds. And April of 2026, I can't even say it with a straight face, for Trump's team. And then we got to keep an eye, because you got to keep an eye on Judge Cannon, on what she's doing down in um, Miami or in Fort Pierce, Southern District of Florida, about things like she hasn't even entered a protective order yet to allow for the continued production of documents. She's asking maintenance workers to weigh in about classified and confidential documents. She's scheduling and canceling out of the blue um, hearings about confidential documents. And she seems utterly confused about how grand juries work under the federal system. We're covering all of that tonight and whatever else pops into our brain as we continue. What do you think, Karen? You want to kick it off with all the activity? It's like a beehive of activity in Georgia the one that's every that's lighting up the internet, it's going to break the internet, is the mugshots 
For those that said, there they are. For those that said, I want to see mugshots. Oh, we got mugshots. This looks like a perverse game of the Brady Bunch. We got, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Salty. Jenna Ellis as Marsha. Uh, we've got, uh, the, the maid being played by, uh, by, uh, Kathy, uh, Chatham or Latham there. And on the bottom left, Ray Smith, little known character from Brady Bunch, the neighborhood sex offender, uh, because I don't know what that's supposed to be. Everybody took this a little bit differently. David Schaefer, who's, who's, I'll take in the square in the middle to block. He decided he was going to make a joke out of it and make it his new LinkedIn profile and his new Twitter profile. And isn't that nice? And Kathy Latham wore some sort of inappropriate top. Rudy Giuliani, I don't know what he's doing. He, he's got a weird grimace on. And then there are people there, of course, that don't think they're at their junior prom um, and, and know they're under serious state indictment. So, Karen, you pick it up. You're the prosecutor on the team. Talk about the unique qualities, unique differences that we're seeing already in state Georgia prosecution, uh, arrest, arraignment process than what you see normally in the federal system. And then we'll talk uh, separately about Meadows, maybe Giuliani and Clark trying to get federal judge Jones, Obama appointee to rule in their favor and get as far away from Judge McAfee as possible. Yeah, you know, so much is going on. I, I'm worried that I'm not going to keep it all straight. So if I mess something up, you, you'll you correct me because there's really so many filings and so much going on with each of these 19 defendants that it's going to be hard to predict exactly how this is going to go. So step one is everybody has to surrender by Friday. Uh, Fonnie Willis, the district attorney in Fulton County, as a courtesy, gave everybody two weeks to show up and surrender and go to the Fulton County Jail and and go and get fingerprinted and mugshots and processed and arrested. And in New York, we don't have a procedure like that. In New York, you go to, when you get arrested, that you immediately have to go before a judge in 24 hours. There is no negotiating bond ahead of time like that, the way they have in Georgia. And so here, there's a, a disconnect between the arrest and the arraignment, and everybody has to be there by Friday. So far, about half have shown up. Uh, Trump is coming on Thursday evening or at late afternoon. And that's when he's turning himself in. And many of them have negotiated through their lawyers a bond release uh, where you will be, have certain amount of money that you have to put up and certain number of conditions. And there's the list right there. Thank you, Salty, um, of the various uh, of the various counts and dollar amounts affixed for Trump that all equal a total about two hundred thousand dollars worth of uh, bond conditions. And then here are the other conditions that Trump had to has to follow. And most noteworthy is that the defendant uh, cannot, has to refrain from intimidation of any person known uh, to be a part of the case, to be a witness, et cetera. And they, it also talks about social media and reposting and things that could affect the, the administration of justice in addition to witnesses and co-defendants and victims. Um, and so this is a very broad, uh, a broad order that, that says basically, watch it, you know, we're watching you and we've seen what you've done in other cases. 
and you better not cross the line here by, you know, saying certain things and or reposting what other people say. And uh, and so they were very specific. Of course, Trump violated the order or potentially violated the order um, very shortly after he after he signed this bond order uh, and his and his lawyer agreed to it the judge agreed to it Fannie Willis agreed to it and you know he he basically he already I mean it specifically says defendant shall not communicate in any way directly or indirectly about the facts of this case with anyone known to be a co-defendant except through counsel um, and, you know, but but then, it, you know, it, it, he basically goes on to say, uh, you know, he basically goes on to say, you know, two posts. Can you believe it? I'll be going to Atlanta, Georgia on Thursday to be arrested by a radical left DA, Fonnie Willis, who's overseeing one of the greatest murder and violent crime disasters in American history. In my case, the trip to Atlanta is not for murder, but for making a perfect phone call. She campaigned and is continuing to campaign, and she is in cahoots with Biden. This is election interference. He then goes on to post uh, two hours later, the failed DA of Atlanta, Fonnie Willis, insisted on a $200,000 bond. I assume she thought I was a flight risk. Uh, I would. What would I do? Fly away, maybe to Russia, 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 share a gold-domed suite with Vladimir Putin, never to be seen or heard from again. Would I be able to take my very understated airplane with the gold Trump affixed for all to see? Probably not. I'd be much better off flying commercial. I bet nobody would recognize me. Um, and look, you know, the question is, did he violate this consent bond order? If you look at section four of the consent bond order, it says defendant shall perform no act to intimidate any person known to him or her to be a co-defendant uh, or to otherwise obstruct the administration of justice, no direct or indirect threat of any nature against the community or any property in the community. The above shall include any posts on social media. And look, you know, it, it, this is clearly an indirect threat to the community. Um, he does it right after he signs this consent order. And he's basically just throwing it in everybody's face, basically saying, you know what, go ahead. You can try, but I'm going to keep going and you're not going to stop me. And eventually, at some point, somebody will ask for a gag order. That'll be the next step. And then after that, we'll see, you know, if they'll do the nuclear option, which is what they do for everybody else, which is incarcerate him. Uh, but I, you know, I doubt that will happen with him um, just because he's a political candidate and he'll argue First Amendment. But so, you know, we, we still have him to turn himself in tomorrow and uh, and he'll be arrested and, you know, and the other defendants as well. Um, but that's what's sort of different about what's going on in Georgia uh, in terms of what I've seen in other other places, this sort of bifurcation of the arrest and the arraignment. Uh, so that's what we're seeing now is, is just the arrest processing. And, you know, there's been lots of court filings, you know, that, that people are making pre-arrest uh, in these 19 defendants. Um, which is also quite unusual. Uh, there have been uh, several, I think three motions to remove the case to federal court. Uh, we've had um, Mark Meadows who has filed a motion, uh, Jeffrey Clark who's filed a motion and um, the head of the um, Georgia GOP also has filed uh, an emotion. His, his name is Schaefer. And um, 
and they've all filed motions for, or sorry, the, the former head of the Georgia GOP, um, is Mr. Schaefer, and and they all have filed uh, order, uh, motions to remove the case to federal court. The other interesting motion that's been filed, and we'll talk about these motions for removal, but the other interesting motion that's been filed um, that I want to make sure we talk about is um, Ken Cheesebro, who filed a motion for speedy trial, which I think is probably the most significant motion that's been filed or the most significant thing that's happened other than the indictment in this case so far, because Georgia has a very different speedy trial law. Every, every jurisdiction has speedy trial laws, um, state and federal, that you have to be ready for trial. You have to say you're ready for trial as a prosecutor um, within a certain period of time. In New York, for a felony, it's six months. Um, and then there's certain periods of time that are excluded. You know, like if the defendant wants to make motions, that's excluded from the six months. Um, but you know, but in in this particular case in Georgia, it's a very very interesting um, speedy trial law. It's Georgia law OCGA section 17-7-1780 sub A, and it says any defendant against to a true bill of an, an indictment. That just means an indictment is filed with the clerk for an offense not affecting the defendant's life, which means not a death penalty case, may enter a demand for a speedy trial at the court term at which the indictment is filed or the next succeeding regular court term thereafter. Uh, people have said that means she has to start the trial in November of this year, in like two months. Um, she has to start this trial and and there's so many open questions what does that mean for the other 18 defendants you know many people think speedy trial for one means speedy trial for all the judge has the discretion apparently to sever will the judge sever the ones who demand a speedy trial instead of the ones who who are going to make motions what happens if some defendants are removed to federal court uh you know what what happens during that there's so many open questions is it is absolutely perceived uh, to be an act of war on the part of Ken Cheesebro and the defense attorney to demand a speedy trial in a case like this. It's you're calling the prosecutor's bluff. You're saying, I don't believe that you're actually ready. I'm not going to give you time to prepare. I want my speedy trial in two months. Bring it on. And it's it's kind of a declaration of war. Um, during those two months can period. I ask a can I ask a quick question? Yeah. Do you yeah. think that's one of the reasons putting continuing with your prosecutor view? Do you think that's one of the reasons we had that huge gap between I'm ready, uh, indictments are imminent, which she said in March, and the actual indicting document in August, because she wanted to make sure that when she said ready and indicted, she was ready for trial as well? Oh, 100%. Bonnie Willis yeah. is no dummy. She is a she is a professional. She is a, you know, a real pro. She is a real pro practitioner prosecutor. You can just tell. So she knew that this was not only a possibility, she, she's playing in the big leagues. This is, you know, at the Manhattan DA's office, we, you know, also played in the big leagues many times in, in cases. And, you know, you, when you, when you have cases that, that are major league cases, you, you 
prepare for everything and you know exactly you, you prepare for all the possibilities and you make sure you're ready for them all you know look in your average run-of-the-mill case you don't always do that because things just sort of go a certain way but in in the big league cases and Fani is is no different she's a real pro so I 100% Popak that's why there was a, a delay um, not really a delay but she took her time to prepare for trial during that time so that this really isn't that short for her. So she's going to call the bluff, his bluff right back, you know, but look, it's, there are dangers, right? It's, it's, um, the case is going to be tried in on TV. You know, the good side, the good thing is Trump can't control the narrative, right? This is going to be, um, out there for the whole world to see, but it also will potentially, you know, it, it gives everybody one bite at the apple to kind of see how how the witnesses do and create a record of, of cross-examination. And, you know, I'm told that Cheeseboro has a really good lawyer. So, you know, this is going to be a real fight. But if there's a conviction um, and, and he gets convicted, then I think you're going to start to see a lot of people lining up trying to get a good plea deal. Yeah, I, I agree with you. The one thing I've been struck, struck with so far, and I said on a hot take with Ben, our co-anchor, earlier today about a lot of the activities on this rocket docket, um, high velocity docket at the, not just at the federal level with Judge Jones, but even Judge McAfee is right out of the box. He's making sure nobody argues, what's the state court judge doing? He doesn't seem to be asserting himself or, or treating this case like a normal case. He is. And, and I think that's helping Judge Jones in his ultimate decision, which he will make early next week whether he wants to take this case or not take this case. Why they're running away from McAfee, I have no idea. She looks like the male version of Eileen Cannon. She, he is, uh, he's been on the bench for three months. He's 34 years old. He was Federalist Society. He was the Office of Inspector General under Governor Kemp. I don't know why they're swimming so fast to try to get away from this guy. I'm not sure the Obama appointee, Judge Jones, is going to be a more hospitable environment for them to make their legal arguments, especially based on what he ruled just today. So let me catch everybody up because Meadows went very quickly. Jones went very quickly. And so Legal AF had to go very quickly to kind of keep pace. Um, Mark Meadows, and then followed right behind by Jeff Clark, said two things. One, we think on the papers that we've already filed, Judge, you can take this case under federal jurisdiction and, and rip it out of Fulton County uh, courthouse, only courthouse. Fawny Willis comes along for the ride, as does Georgia state criminal law, and it's not pardonable by, a, by the president, whoever that is in the future, because these are Georgia, pardon me, Georgia crimes. Now, but why do they want to be in Fed court? They want to be in Fed court because they're going to try to argue some complicated issues for at least a few of these people about constitutional supremacy clause immunity. I was just doing my job, my job description as fill in the blank, acting attorney general or chief of staff for Donald Trump included, I guess, helping him cling to power, not peacefully transfer it to Joe Biden. Um, that sounds more like you're doing henchman work for the candidate Trump, not doing the work for President Trump, which is what would be your federal office. But put that aside for a minute. I'm sure 
Judge Jones will be drilling down on that issue when he decides whether there's federal jurisdiction. The presumption is there is no federal jurisdiction, and it's going to be the burden on Clark and on Meadows and on Giuliani if he tries or anybody else. I've, I've even heard David Schaefer, the former GOP chairperson, say, well, I was directed as a fake elector by Trump's lawyers, so I get the color of a federal office and I get to argue federal jurisdiction. Again, why they're running away from Judge, Judge uh, what do they know that we don't know about Judge McAfee? He's only been on for 90 days. They, they can't possibly know anything. But they want to get that. They want to get a little bit better jury pool that comes out of a federal court practice a slightly better, although I don't think it's that much better for them in, full, in the Atlanta a proper uh, place that the, the jury would be pulled uh, pulled from. And then they get a fast track through federal appeal process, 11th Circuit, which sits in Atlanta. That's the same 11th Circuit Court of Appeals that, that slapped back Judge Cannon a couple of times when she screwed up fundamentals of criminal prosecution and the role of a trial judge. And it looks like she's on her, on her road to doing that again. We'll get that, la- we'll get that later on in the podcast. And then you get up, you know, fast track to the U.S. Supreme Court. You can still get to the U.S. Supreme Court on some of these things that they would raise in the state court level, but it's harder. So I see why they want to try to slide it over. But as of right now, it's looking terrible for them. Just before we went on the air, like at 6.30, Judge Jones already ruled on an emergency application by both Meadows and Clark to not have to go to the Rice Street Jail by tomorrow and 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 get booked and processed in the state system, they were like, "It'll it'll irreparably harm us, hey, Judge. We're going to be with you in federal court one day." And we have this is my artist rendering or my accent that I use for all of their whining. Sorry, uh, we want to be with you, and you're going to rule that we have immunity one day, and we don't even want to bother getting our hands messed up with fingerprinting and and a mugshot. Why? And we've seen the mugshots these other people are doing. We don't want to do that. And the judge said, yeah, great. We'll see you on Monday. In the meantime, you are in the state court process. In fact, the removal statute that you, Karen, cited before specifically says, unless and until the federal judge takes jurisdiction and ousts the state court proceeding, everything goes forward to the state court proceeding as if there were no application to move to federal court. So go get booked, go get fingerprinted. I'll see you on Monday. You, you, know, you, you, don't, you don't even have to stay over. You don't have to sleep over in the, in the, uh, Rice, uh, the Rice Street Jail. You could, you'll come out in an hour and then we'll see you on Monday for a full-blown evidentiary hearing. Not just a hearing where lawyers start you know, talking out of their out of their mouth holes, they have to bring in evidence. And Fonnie Willis has already said, I got a great idea. I'm going to bring in a series of witnesses against Meadows and against Clark, and I'm going to do a little bit mini trial. And if we want to know how that's going to turn out, all we got to do is go back to your old office, Karen, four months ago, back in May, when uh, Donald Trump didn't like his judge in New York, Judge Mershon, and he wanted to go across the street to the Southern District of New York Federal Court and got, boy, this sounds eerily deja vu, got a Democratic president-appointed judge, a Clinton appointee, Judge Hellerstein, who did this whole thing, but over a longer period of time. And basically, after an evidentiary hearing that went terrible for Donald Trump, where the Manhattan DA's office got to put all the evidence on against him to show that he's a criminal, Judge Hellerstein said, yeah, it's more likely than not that you're a criminal. Get out of my court. Go back to state court. This is going to happen again. And the thing I was struck by where I started this whole analysis with is how little to no coordination there is at all with these 19. They may have been tied together in a conspiracy, as alleged, but they are not cooperating or coordinating at all. I would have thought 
especially since some of them are getting their lawyers paid for it by the Save America PAC, that they would sort of join together, at least in groups of three, you know, like a day camp or a camp, and kind of file papers together to accomplish similar objectives. They're not doing that at all. And all that's doing is strengthening Fawdy Willis's hand because this is the gang that can't shoot straight. Some of them, like the the, the highest person on the chain, uh, the totem pole, uh, Donald Trump, the, who did the worst of all the bad things, he's like, yeah, I'm fine with state court. I'll be there on, I'll be there on Friday. Thank you. And while his underlings, the all the president's men, are like, no, we don't want to be in state court. And then Cheese Bro jumps off sides, as you described earlier, Karen, and says, not only do I want to stay in state court, I want to have a trial in the next like 60 days. Let's do that. So you could tell while maximum chaos is certainly Donald Trump's calling card, I don't think he has any control over what's going on right now. And I don't think he's saying, Cheeseboro, you uh, you do 60-day, let's go to trial. And you, Meadows, and you, you, you go to federal court and you try to, let's see how that works out. And I'll stay, he's not doing any of this. He is in a world now, not of his own making, Welcome to the criminal justice system, Donald Trump. You are no longer the, the leader of the free world and people wearing black robes and prosecutors now are going to run and ruin your life. You know, interestingly, this whole removal thing and, and why they might want to go to federal court, I've been trying to wrap my head around it to understand because I always try to see the other side and it's hard to see the other side here because they make these lawless, ridiculous arguments that have no basis in law and no basis in reality. But I still have been really trying to wrestle this into the ground. And this is what I think is going on. So if you remember the, um, if you remember when, as you mentioned, when, uh, when Trump tried to remove the Stormy Daniels case to federal court from the Manhattan DA's office, the reason Judge Hellerstein ultimately said it it will not be removed. If you, so, let's just talk about what what the grounds are, what the law is on removal. You have to be a federal officer or working at the direction of a federal officer. It has to be part of your job, so under the color of law, so you know under the color of your authority, and you have to have a plausible federal defense. And what Judge Hellerstein said was, this was yes, you're you were a federal officer, Donald Trump, because you were president at the time, but this was not part of your presidency. This was your personal life. And so you weren't acting under in the color of your authority. And so therefore that belongs in, in state court, right? You had a personal lawyer, you were paying off a porn star that you had an affair with in your personal life. That wasn't part of your job description. Like if a federal uh, FBI agent in the course of executing a search warrant um, gets into a fight with somebody and shoots them. And, uh, you know, that that's a kind of case where he's a, clearly an FBI agent and he was executing a search warrant as part of his job and they get into a fight and, and he shoots someone. And if he was unjustified, state court can't prosecute that. That would be removed to federal court because that was under the color of his of his job description, right? That's what federal removal is meant for. So let's do that same analysis here, okay? Let's look at Mark Meadows, for example. If you read Fonnie Willis's uh, response to Mark Meadows' uh, motion for removal to federal court, it is absolutely brilliant and genius, okay? She smacks him down in the most beautiful way. So she says, first of all, 
you, your entire motion talks about how this is all political. Everything I did was political, political speech, First Amendment, it's all protected. I was, I was doing all these things. He made all these admissions in his motion. And what Fonnie Willis points out is that clearly Mark Meadows, his lawyer, has no idea of something called the Hatch Act. The Hatch Act is such a fundamental part of any federal employee of what they know, of what they're allowed to do or not do. And in fact, any employee, I, I was aware of the state equivalent of the Hatch Act when I worked for an elected official. And what it basically says is you cannot mix, you cannot use government resources for political, for, for your political ends. So. Donald Trump is both President Trump and candidate Trump during the month of January, you know, during the months of November, December, January, right? The, of um, 2019, 2020, he was both. He was both running for office and he was also president of the United States. And he had two different staffs. He had a campaign staff and he had government staff, right? And those two cannot mix. You can't even, to be specific, you can't even use government stationary or a government printer or a government telephone or office space when you are conducting campaign or election related uh, activities. And Mark Meadows basically admits through his papers that he was doing all these things like helping set up calls, contesting the election, all of the, all of the things that he's accused of doing, that was for candidate Trump. That had nothing to do with the presidency or the presidential duties. And so Fonnie Willis said, basically, it, that is 100% in violation of the Hatch Act. You were not working under the federal, you were not a, working for a federal, federal officer. You were not a federal officer at the time. In fact, this had nothing to do with your job description. You were actually doing the opposite of what you're allowed to do in your job description. So. I think that's why uh, the judge basically said, you know, for now, there's we're not giving you an emergency stay temper. You know, the, I'm not ruling on the merits of removal, but I'm also not giving you this emergency stay. You got to show up and get arrested and, you know, and get this thing going. So so it's really interesting, this this removal thing. And I think it's going to fall on whether the judge finds that these people, whether it was President Trump or candidate Trump, and whether these people were all acting in the course of their uh, of their duties as a, you know, whether it's Jeffrey Clark as the, you know, whatever he was, the paw dog, you know, the whatever, I don't even know what it stands for, but something acting, you know, attorney general, they have all these acronyms, um, you know, that he, that they, they, whether, you know, he was, yes, he was a federal official, but he was not doing a, a job that was in his job description. In fact, he was helping candidate Trump. And that has nothing to do with, um, with, you know, acting under the color of law. So that's what I think that these removal, uh, removals are going to fall on. And, and just one last thing, the reason I think, to answer your question, that I think they're trying to go to um, federal court I don't think it's because of the jury pool. I don't think it's because they think the judge is better. You know, I, I think it's because they think if I can get the judge to rule that I was a federal officer acting under the color of um, federal authority, 
that then they will, and you, you've talked about this before, Popak, they, he, if they can get him to rule in the, those two things, therefore the supremacy clause applies and I can't be prosecuted. I think they think if I can get those two, those two elements ruled on, it will kick in the supremacy clause and um, they'll say, so the state can't prosecute me. And these are state charges. So, because as you said, federal removal is still state charges in federal court. They will say, but the state can't prosecute me because of the supremacy clause. So that's why I think it's a strategic decision to get to federal court, because then you, you those elements are met. Yeah, they can make the same argument in state court, but they'd rather go federal court, 11th Circuit, Supreme Court for that argument than try to make it with Scott McAfee, who's been on the bench for literally 90 days. Um, we're going to follow all of that um, and what happens because all of these things are interrelated. One thing I think we've we've been able to um, talk talk through in two and a half, almost three years, almost three years of legal AF is especially in the Trump indictment world. All of these things are interrelated. Not that they're all working together, but prosecutors and civil lawyers and state and federal prosecutors, they know what each other are doing, at least from the public record. And they can use it to their advantage and whipsaw the, the, the common defendant, and I mean common in many levels, that's in front of them. I'll give you an example from my own civil practice. I have, I have been involved with a case on the civil side where I've been suing a party and I know another law firm is suing that same party on something unrelated or maybe slightly related in a, in a commercial world. And I will call them up and say, hey, I'm doing my depositions next week. Why don't you squeeze them and try to get your depositions like tomorrow? Or I'm going to do this in the case. When? Are, what are you doing? The quicker we squeeze together, the better it is for both of our respective clients. If that conversation that I just described is going on, you know the prosecutors and the civil lawyers are all say are trying to take advantage of each other's positions uh, as they make chess moves. Oh, you made you know like Jack Smith saying, and I don't play chess, so I'm going to blow this, this this analogy. But uh, Jack Smith, says, oh look at that move, she did uh, king to queen six. Oh, I'll do, and then he's doing his own chessboard all against the common opponent, which is um, uh, Donald Trump. We're going to talk about. Mar-a-Lago and everything that's going on with Judge Cannon. We're going to talk about everything that's going on with Judge Chutkin and the trial date war, uh, the warring, dueling trial dates. But first, we have a word from our sponsor. Did you know that your temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on your sleep quality? If you wake up too hot or too cold, I highly recommend you check out Miracle Made's bed sheets. Inspired by NASA, Miracle Made uses silver infused fabrics and makes temperature regulating bedding so you can sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. Using silver infused fabrics originally inspired by NASA, Miracle Made sheets are thermoregulating and designed to keep you at the perfect temperature all night long. So you get better sleep every night. These sheets are infused with silver that prevent up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leaving them to stay cleaner and fresher 
three times longer than other sheets. No more gross odors. Miracle sheets are luxuriously comfortable without the high price tag of other luxury brands and feel as nice, if not nicer, than bed sheets used by some five-star hotels. Stop sleeping on bacteria. Bacteria can clog your pores, causing breakouts and acne. Sleep clean with Miracle. Go to trymiracle.com slash legal AF to try Miracle made sheets today. And whether you're buying them for yourself or as a gift for a loved one, if you order today, you can save over 40%. And if you use our promo legal AF at checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. Miracle is so confident in their product, it's back with a 30-day money-back guarantee. And if you're not 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash legalaf and use the code legalaf to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40%. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash legalaf to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. I'm so excited to say that this episode is brought to you by Eight Sleep. We've spent almost half our lives in bed, and if you're a woman of a certain age like me, regulating your body temperature and getting a good night's sleep can sometimes be a challenge. My old mattress was old school. It would overheat while my husband and I were in it together, causing us to toss and turn and not get a good night's sleep. And inevitably, when he was hot, I was cold, and vice versa. There's nothing worse than tossing and turning or sweating in the night, whether it's because of the summer heat or your body heat. The pod cover by 8sleep will keep you cool all night, all the way down to 55 degrees Fahrenheit if that's the temperature you choose, so you wake up feeling fully refreshed. The pod cover by 8sleep fits on top of any bed like a fitted sheet, and it will improve your sleep by automatically adjusting the temperature on each side of the bed based on your and your partner's individual likings. It can cool down, it can warm up, and it adjusts based on the phases of your sleep and the environment that you're in. The other thing I love about 8sleep is it genuinely helps improve your sleep routine and your habits and your overall sleep quality. I really love the temperature control and that both me and my husband can set our side of the bed, uh, each to our own liking. And I love the gentle vibrating alarm that you set each morning. And I wake up feeling refreshed after a great night's sleep, allowing me to start the day off right. My husband loves Eight Sleep's technology, which is incredible. While the temperature part is the biggest game changer for me, the pod cover has other amazing features thanks to the pod's sleep and health tracking. You can wake up to a personalized sleep report for you each morning that offers insights into how certain behaviors like late night exercise or caffeine impact your sleep and overall health. The pod cover by 8sleep truly provides the ultimate sleep experience. I've never experienced sleep like this, and the pod's cooling technology has been a lifesaver for me at this phase of my life. So if you're a woman of a certain age like me, and we all know who we are, invest in the rest you deserve with the 8sleep pod. Go to 8sleep.com slash legal AF and save $150 on the pod cover. That's the best offer you'll find. But you must visit 8sleep.com slash legal AF for $150 off. Stay cool this summer with 8sleep. Now shipping within the USA, Canada, and the UK and select countries in the EU and Australia. That's 8sleep.com slash legal AF. And we're back. Well, I'll tell you the one sponsor we don't have yet, but people in the chat are telling me that I should have... They said sunscreen, but I have an excuse for today. <laughs> the excuse is I took half a day off to go for a long walk on the boardwalk near where I live. And when I got back to my car, my phone was dead and I couldn't open the door to the car because it was tied to my phone. And I spent the next 45 minutes with no sunscreen walking around looking for a charger, which I found. 
That's a story that probably nobody's really interested in, but I decided that I wanted to. You tell. know what I find shocking about that is, <laughs> is you it? also did about eighteen hot takes today. So <laughs> I don't know yeah. if this is this is you working a half a day. I, I really don't know what you working a full day is is like. Like forty hot takes in a day. So so the, the we could this is a good this is a good segue and good transition. Not not uh, eight sleep, but the the things we talked about. People in the chat oh, want to know what kind of car you have, by the way. I have, I finally went E. I have an EV. I have a SUV that's all electric, hmm, and okay. uh, which I like, which was great, except when I decided not to take my keys with me because I wanted to go for a long walk and not have them jangling around in my pocket. I came back to a dead phone and a car that would not start. So enough of Popox first world problems. Let's talk about um, what's what's going on with Donald Trump. The good news about all the things we're talking about, because I've been here long enough, and so have you, Karen. I remember saying, cut the crap, Popak. We want to see him indicted. I don't think it'll ever happen. We want to see mugshots. I don't think it'll ever happen. We want to see the trial in 2024. I don't think it'll ever happen. All these things are happening. It's just happening at a pace that we weren't really comfortable with, and we all wanted it to go a little bit faster, but it's going in, in a constitutionally appropriate time time interval, notwithstanding the fact that some judges are not playing by the rules. One of those judges, which Jack Smith knew when he drew her and knew there was a one in four chance that he would get Judge Cannon, but he was prepared for anything that she was going to do, either because she's a secret MAGA uh, undercover person or because she's just not very good at her job. It's one of the two things, because we're seeing some really weird orders and comments and statements and in, in decisions coming out of this court about Mar-a-Lago and the national defense information that was uh, allegedly uh, retained by Donald Trump and the conspiracy to hide it involving the butler, Walt Nauda, the maintenance worker, Carlos de Alviera, and the IT worker, Yusil Tavares, who sometimes, for whatever reason, I call Jose. I know why, but I'm not going to tell people in the chat. It has to do with somebody that I used to work with whose last name was that last name. All right, putting that aside for a moment, uh, the three things that are like up for grabs right now with balls still in the air that I'd like to talk to you about, Karen, for our, our audience, is one, the request by Donald Trump that the government, meaning the taxpayers like you and me, build him a secure facility at Mar-a-Lago to look through the documents that he shouldn't have had in an unsecured facility to begin with. And the judge sort of sitting around having not ruled on that. While in order to get a case to trial, and this one is scheduled at least on paper for May of 2024, you have to at least give the other side, in this case, the defense, all of the documents that would help them in their case, or at least that the prosecution is going to use in their case. And there's a problem because the judge hasn't entered the protective order that's necessary before the full data dump is made on Donald Trump. And they can't do it because she's like slow footing and dragging her feet on the hearing related to it. And, and when she's running out of reasons to delay that hearing, she reaches, con she reaches conclusions like this one. I think the maintenance worker, I'm not making this up. I have to laugh every time I say it. The maintenance worker should weigh in. I want to hear what he has to say and his lawyers have to say about how confidential top secret information should be shared with the defense. Okay, stop right there. 
the maintenance worker is not charged with Espionage Act or anything related to the national defense. He is charged with trying to delete the server housing the surveillance video, right? They were going to stab it, burn it, or drown it. And that is his crime of obstruction, along with the fact that he lied to the grand jury in the District of Columbia about his participation in that. That has nothing to do with what is actually in the box or what is if whether it was top secret classified or not classified. So, so don't start rolling up your shirt sleeves, Mr. Maintenance Worker. I don't think that after an appeal, you're going to get your hot little hands on our national defense information to further compromise national security. But this is the type of thing that she's doing. And now she's got the issue in front of her about, and I want you to take it from there, Karen, Stan Woodward, who is a MAGA PAC, Save America PAC paid, bought and paid lawyer through Donald Trump, handpicked, who represents not one, not two, not three, but four different Mar-a-Lago witnesses, targets, co-conspirators indicted or unindicted. He represents the two executive assistants that helped move the boxes around. One worked for Melania and one worked for Donald. They're unnamed in the indictment, but we know who they are. He represents or represented uh, Usil Tavares, the IT worker, until he didn't. And that's a powerful development that you can talk about, Karen. And lastly, he represents uh, Walt Nauta. So that seems like a lot of people within one alleged criminal conspiracy and witness uh, world to be representing. And Jack Smith had a plan for this. He hatched it in D.C., he hatched it in Florida, and now it's in front of Judge Cannon. Pick up, pick up from there and take our audience right through to the end about everything related to Cannon, the skiff, and, and Stan Woodward, who in my view is up to his you-know-what in deep shit with this judge on terms of credibility. Look, you know, let, let's just talk for a minute about what the issue even is with Stan Wood, Woodward representing lots of people or multiple people. And really, the issue is all about a conflict of interest. And, and this is a common sense concept that anyone can understand. They're going to have a Garcia hearing, which, you know, in New York or up in, in um, it, you know, where I practice, they call it a Curcio hearing in my district, but it's called, it's the same thing. It's a, it's a hearing to determine whether or not there is a conflict and whether a lawyer can represent multiple people. Now, let's just talk about it from a common sense perspective. You don't need a law degree to understand this, this, uh, this concept. And, and we'll talk about it in the, in the course of, um, of Joe Tacopina and um, and and Stormy Daniels. If you remember, uh, if you remember, he at a time represented Stormy Daniels. Okay, what does it mean to represent someone? Uh, it means they tell you your de their deepest darkest secrets. They tell you absolutely everything about the case. They tell you all the good, the bad, the ugly. That's why there's something called an attorney-client privilege, because you want to encourage somebody to tell all of their information to your lawyer so that they can adequately represent you. They can figure out what's the best way to help you. So you encourage this open communication. And so then when Joe Tacopina no longer um, represented Stormy Daniels, but then was going to represent Donald Trump, 
there was a, a conflict issue. And people said, how can you then represent Donald Trump if you represented Stormy Daniels? Because you know all her facts. You're not allowed to use them against her because she told them to in confidence. So how are you going to represent and vigorously represent Donald Trump when you know facts that you can't even use? It's just such common sense. So same thing here, right? Stan Woodward, you've got him representing Uciel Tavares. Uh, by the way, at the time that he represented Uciel Tavares, Uciel Tavares got himself into a lot of trouble saying, I don't remember. Um, and you know he he didn't remember anything all of a sudden he gets a target letter and jack smith you know says look you know let's get him a, a public defender which they did he talks to the public defender he ditches stan woodward and suddenly now he's cooperating with jack smith testified and does remember and he's not going to uh, face any charges he's now a witness which is how it should be but when you got the the pack paid for lawyer the save america pack paid for lawyer Stan Woodward, his, you know, it, it just like it was just like Cassidy Hutchinson, right? When she had the Trump paid for lawyer, she they she said they told her to say, just say you don't remember. You know, they can't they can't get you for perjury for saying you don't remember. You know, it's and and don't don't jog your memory. Don't look at things. Just, you know, and she's like, but what if I do remember? Then that would be lying. You know, and so, so she went and got her own lawyer, and then suddenly she she told the truth. So that's the case here, right? You've got you've got uh, Mr. Taveras who had Stan Woodward, who shared information with him, established an attorney-client privilege. He then gets his own lawyer, cooperates with Jack Smith. So how is it possible that now Stan Woodward can represent Walt Nada, because Walt Nada and Uciel Taveras? and Carlos de Oliveira all were working together to destroy evidence, move boxes, and work for the big guy, you know, who was the one possessing, illegally possessing these things. And they were moving them from, you know, toilet room to ballroom to, you know, Bedminster back to Mar-a-Lago, moving these things around and then trying to destroy the evidence, right, of the, the tapes showing all of this and, and lying about it. So how can, how can Stan Woodward possibly represent Walt Nada, you know, to the fullest extent when he can't use any of the information that he got from Mr. Tavera. So there's a clear conflict there. We'll see how it goes. You know, he, he's going to try, I'm sure Walt Nada will say, well, I'll waive it. I don't care. I don't, you know, it doesn't matter to me. Um, but I just don't see how you get around. It's not, it's not like you represented someone in a different case that might've had information. This is the same case. How is he going to cross-examine Uciel Tavares, he has to cross-examine him. How can you cross-examine someone who you represented? You know, you can't say, isn't it true? What, what, what if Uciel Tavares says something different that he said to, to Stan Woodward? He can't say, isn't it true that when you were sitting in my office, you told me that you didn't remember, and now you're saying you do remember? I mean, it's, it's, it's just common sense shows it absolutely can't be done. So that, that's what's going on there. That's why Stan Woodward is, is got himself into a real pickle. You, you really can't represent a, the, a witness or um, yeah, a witness and a defendant in the 
same criminal case. It's just logistically impossible and it's an actual conflict, but you've got Judge Eileen Cannon, so who the heck knows how she'll <laughs> how she'll rule, you know, because we're we're it's true. It's like it's like you can't even predict what the what, what anyone will do because you're in like the twilight zone legal world, you know. It's don't, not don't you get the sense that on their side they say things like, this wouldn't normally work with a judge, but let's try it with Cannon and see what happens. Just throw it up against the wall. Maybe she'll bite. Yeah. That's, I, you know that, what? Yeah. She's, she's unpredictable, is putting it putting it nicely. One, one comment on what you just said that I I agree with everything you just said, but one, one further comment about it is um, Woodward is in trouble, in my view, because when another more senior federal judge, the, the chief judge of the... DC Circuit Court. So he's like, we're, we're talking about if if I'm using baseball here, baseball analogies. If Eileen Cannon is the Miami Marlins, who are playing pretty well this year, you know, this is like, you know, like pick the next team. This is the chief judge of the DC Circuit responsible for all things grand jury. He took one look at the conflict of interest issue that you just so eloquently pointed out and said, Yeah, you know what we're gonna do? At least for this moment, I'm gonna order that. Um, Mr. Uh, Tavares have his own independent lawyer not named Stan Woodward. And that's going to be, oh, the first chief assistant public defender for the District of Columbia. And you guys go off into another room and then you come back, Mr. Tav uh, Tavares, you tell me what you want to do. And Tavares came back in short order and said basically two things. One, I want to fire Mr. Woodward. Okay. And, and I want to keep my public defender. And secondly, everything I said in March to the grand jury was a lie while I was being represented by Mr. Woodward. And I'm now going to tell the truth. And he entered, now we know, he, and we thought it when we saw the superseding indictment. Yumi and Ben said, okay, Yusil Tavares has, has cooperated and flipped on Donald Trump. And now we know he's got a full immunity deal and he's telling the truth because that's what you do when you realize that you've done something wrong and you got a target letter and a target on your back. As I joked on a hot take today with Ben, if you want to get indicted by the government, hire, hire Stan Woodward. If you want to get a deal cut because you know in your heart of hearts that you're not telling the truth, don't use Stan Woodward. He's just going to get you indicted. Because the, the, the number one person that the government really wanted, the biggest get that they really wanted at the beginning of Mar-a-Lago indictment was named Walt Nauta. They wanted Walt Nauta. They said, this is an easy, not an easy, nothing's easy. But they said, look, He's the butler. He, I mean, he's, how much can Trump really, in terms of a relationship, have with the guy? And we've got him dead to rights on video, on messages, on email, on chats. I mean, sure, surely he will flip. And no, because his lawyer was, was Stan Woodward. And Stan Woodward went to a meeting to have a discussion with Jay Bratt, the head of counterintelligence for the Department of Justice, who's now prosecuting, one of the prosecutors for the Mar-a-Lago case. And he came away with his, his feelings hurt. His own Stan Woodward's, his feelings were hurt. He didn't give a crap about his, his his client. Oh, I didn't like the way I was treated. Jay Bratt said mean things to me about I wanted to be a judge one day and why was I representing MAGA? Oh, oh in the meantime, you're, you just got your client indicted, right? And, and now we thought in the beginning, wow, the butler did it. He really did do it. Now we've seen the video, the audio, the 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 surveillance video. You see Tavares now turning on him. Diolivera's next, by the way. Uh, he he he's next because he's the maintenance worker, and he's not rep. He's represented by another MAGA pack paid lawyer, 
but he's not um he's not represented at least by Woodward. And what does he have to lose? He was the maintenance worker. A maintenance worker where the government has a recorded phone call between him and the former leader of the free world for 24 minutes. As I joked before, it's the longest recorded phone call in the history of the world between a former president and a maintenance worker. And so he is in deep water. So if anybody else is going to flip, it's going to be that guy. And then this is over. I don't care who the judge is, right? The judge could be judge. It could be Captain Kangaroo. I don't care. The federal court will could, will will affirm a a uh, if if a jury if a jury finally finds against Donald Trump. But at this at this rate, I want to get your view on this one as a prosecutor. I think Mar-a-Lago has fallen to a distant third in the horse race. I, not only because the, where the trial is going to happen, but in terms of importance to democracy and our justice system, I see Jack Smith's case, the elegant, surgical, one defendant, four counts, trial coming up. We'll talk about it next, uh, about trial dates. And important <clears throat> stuff all about Jan 6, the clinging to power, everything we learned about from the Jan 6 committee. You know, the six links to the chain, you know, the pressure on Mike Pence, the fake electors, the the fake lawsuits, the pressure on election officials and elected officials. This matters in the history books that we bring him to justice for that. Mar-a-Lago for me is like a cherry on top. Okay, we got him. We got him with his hands in the cookie jar. That's great. Let's get back to Jan 6th. And then Fawny Willis, who I think bought herself, as you've said in the past, a non-2024 trial because of 19 monkeys at a barrel that she's got to have to try to coordinate unless this thing just goes like Ken Cheeseboro wants it. I want to do it, you know, by fall uh, and we'll go from there. Where do you think Mar-a-Lago sort of fits in? And then we're going to, we're going to eventually get over to our last topic tonight. I think that Jan 6, you know, there's always a little slippage to the dates, right? So I think January 6 is going to push things as, you know, to a place where that might be other than Ken Cheesebro and a few others with their speedy trial. Now that Fonnie Willis is, is in that situation, I think it's really going to be the Jan 6 Jack Smith case. I think Mar-a-Lago, I mean, hopefully that ends in a conviction, right? So I don't know that Mar-a-Lago goes right after that. Um, We'll see. You know, I, I think I think you're 100 percent right, though. I think and I think Jack Smith did it in a way, you know, four counts, one defendant, and he's ready to go. So for that it's reason, it's like it's almost like Mar-a-Lago was a stalking horse for him. Right. Let's just you know, it's almost like a feint. Let's get Donald Trump distracted down in Florida about documents while I build my case behind him, this giant shark of a case and right and launch it on him back in DC on home turf for the Department of Justice and I use the fulcrum between Mar-a-Lago and DC to my advantage as I whipsaw the defendant between it right isn't that starting to look like what's going on there with Jack Smith when everybody was yes. all upset Karen for why did he go to uh, the southern district of Florida he knew he could have gotten cannon 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 I don't know why I'm using that voice for that. But in any event, now when you look at it, right, isn't he like isn't he like the Yoda genius that's even above our thinking? We were looking at it like piecemeal, like, oh, this is an interesting piece. Let's spend an entire hot take on that. When he's got the grander 30,000 foot level, yeah. like, I'm going to send all the troops down here, but I'm going to come around the back and I'm going to attack him from there where he's where he's most vulnerable. 
I mean, look, if he if he hadn't pulled Judge Cannon, right? Mar-a-Lago is such a straightforward case. Mm-hmm. You know, it really True. is. It's it's so I think I think he had contingencies, right? He knew, as you said, he had the whole view, he knew the whole picture. So he's got this case. If he pulls a good judge who, you know, that that case could have gone very quickly. It's very straightforward. And but he pulled cannon. And so, you know, now he's just like, okay, so I'll supersede that case is, you know, not going anywhere anyway, anytime soon. I'll focus on my other case. That's, you know, so he's got he's he's walking and chewing gum at the same time. So, yeah. So let speaking of walking and chewing gum, Judge Chutkin down up. I keep saying down. It's down from me up from Florida in D.C. Federal Judge Chutkin, who I was super impressed with back when she was sentenced, just sentencing regular old Jan 6 insurrectionists. And I always thought she was on the short list for Joe Biden if he ever got another Supreme Court pick. I liked her a lot. What Ben and I were, and you and I were reporting about her role there and when, when she got picked, but to see her in action and compare her to Judge Cannon, I mean, Judge Cannon just does, just pales by comparison. Um, we're going to talk about Judge Chutkin and what's going on as we round out this edition of Legal AF. Uh, Midas Touch Network is going to try to do something about the, the debate. We're going to try to wrap this up so people can go watch the debate as well. But we know people like this counter-programming of you, me, and Ben talking about legal and political issues at that intersection. If you want to support Legal AF, it's really easy. Everything I'm going to say is free. Free subscribe to the Midas Touch YouTube channel. They're pushing towards 2 million. They want to hit that before 2024. Speaking of dates, in 2024, you can buy, this is this is not free, you can buy an amazingly newly designed t-shirts with a, with a series of new logos by a famous sports logo person that was a friend of Karen's uh, that we love and, and is, t- is taking off. And you can, of course, uh, after you're done watching us on YouTube, go listen to us and vice versa, cross-pollinate between our podcast platform, uh, wherever you get audio from and, and here. Uh, and next... We've got sponsors. We've got sponsors that support our pro-democracy and legal and political analysis. And we've got one coming up here. Boxing streaming services, that exercise app to show your friends you bike 20 miles in the rain, and your hometown newspaper for that one homecoming game score. There's subscriptions for everything these days. And sometimes it feels impossible to keep tabs on what you're paying for every month. That's why I'm such a huge fan of Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Most people think they're spending $80 on their subscriptions, when in reality, the number is closer to 200 When you're signed up for so many things, like streaming services you used to watch one show with, or free trials for delivery you don't use, it's so easy to lose track of what you're paying for. With Rocket Money, you can easily cancel the ones you don't want with just the press of a button. No more long hold times or annoying emails with customer service. Rocket Money does all the work for you. Rocket Money can even negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money also lets you monitor all your expenses in one place, recommends custom budgets based on your past spending, and they'll even send you notifications when you've reached your spending limits. With over 3 million users and counting, Rocket Money customers have saved an average of $720 a year. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. 
Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash legal AF. That's rocketmoney.com slash legal AF. Rocketmoney.com slash legal AF. Here we are, rocketmoney.com slash legal AF. And now back to the show. <laughs> back to the show. Let's talk about um, Judge Chutkin. And particularly, let's talk about where we are in the trial setting. We have a hearing coming up. Um, it's really coming up. It's coming up in five days before Judge Chutkin. And, the, and there's going to be a number of things I can, I can project. I don't know if I can predict, but I can project that I think are going to happen. One of them is the government, if they don't do a filing before, it's coming up about the comments, social media and otherwise, by Donald Trump and his proxies, um, ever since, if you go after me, I'm coming after you, even since then, in, including the grand jury being uh, doxxed in um, in Fulton County, Georgia, other comments and retweets and tweets or whatever it's called on his platform that Donald Trump has done against Chutkin, uh, saying it's obvious that she wants to do election interference and all this other stuff. He always gets it wrong, by the way. Um, just to correct him, it wasn't Fonnie Willis that campaign to bring him down. It was Letitia James, the New York Attorney General, who campaigned to bring him down. It wasn't Alvin Bragg. I know it's hard, you know, like you said at the top of the show, half kiddingly, it's hard to keep track of all this stuff for Donald Trump. I hope I get it right. It's hard for Donald Trump to keep track of all the people that are his, his prosecutors and attorney generals. And I think he purposely doesn't get it right uh, for, for obvious reasons. So the only one that ran and was asked during a debate about what she would do was, was Letitia James. Funny Willis was, Jan 6 hadn't even happened yet when she got on. She was already in the office working in another capacity. And Alvin Bragg never said it, okay? I was at most or saw most of those debates. And, and Karen, you and I had a friend that was also running for that office. So we were paying attention to that election. So now we've got uh, Judge Chutkin. One thing I think, as I started to say, I think she's going to discuss is, have the conditions of release been violated? And now you've got this balancing act that all the judges are going to have to do as you set as you set the mood for this issue at the top of the podcast, Karen, about what do we do with the First Amendment rights slash guy running for office, but yet he, if he was any other common criminal or criminally a criminal defendant, he would have already been found to have violated these things. You're not allowed to try to, you're not allowed to attack the prosecutor. You're not allowed to attack witnesses. You're not allowed to attack the grand jury. You're not allowed to attack judges or their families in the in normal cases. In fact, that would violate the conditions of your release. But you can see they're all like straining to strike the appropriate balance from Judge Mershon to Judge Chutkin. Cannon doesn't really care at all. And now Judge McAfee in Georgia, the state court judge, who's similarly following the lead because, you know, history is prologue. He got to see the orders of the other judges, uh, what Judge Mershon did, what Judge Chutkin did, and he emulated and copied that consistent with Georgia law. And so somebody's going to have to say something about it. And I think it comes up on the 28th with Judge Chutkin about whether she's found it offensive or violative of anything that he said that he's crossed those lines that she established 
established for the proper administration of justice, which she says is her only concern wearing the black robe and not what he does during his day job of running for office and certainly not the fact that he's the former president of the United States. So they got that going on. He is worried. For those that think he's not worried, he'll say and do anything. He does say outrageous things to try to get a rise out of the of the body politic and 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 his people that he sees as his tormentors. But he purposely is not participating in the debate. This is my Popakian logic because he is listening to his lawyers, at least in one context. He is worried that the other people on that stage who don't care about his liberty or his ability to avoid jail time will catch him and put him into a situation where he has to comment about one or all of the criminal cases in a way that would only strengthen the hand of the prosecutors. And he's worried. He thinks he thinks that there is a missing piece or two, for instance, in Jack Smith's establishing criminal intent or mens rea. And he doesn't want to give him any other puzzle pieces to fit in there that could happen in a, in a freewheeling debate where he's got nine people that want his job or want the job of Joe Biden, you know, trying to walk him into a jackpot problem. The reason I believe that is he was all bluster about, oh, not only am I going to go down to Fulton County Jail and take my mugshot, I'm going to do a press conference and uh, continue to double down on why there was fraud in the election in Georgia. And then suddenly it was canceled because anything that he says now, people think it doesn't matter. It does. It becomes new evidence for prosecutors. It, be, it gets brought into the case, either because it violates those conditions of bond and release that we've talked about at length here on Legal AF, or it is new evidence, corroborating evidence, or a new crime committed by Donald Trump. And now he's got you know, four major sharks in the water who are going after him at high speed. And he's swimming alone out there, right? You've got you've got uh, Jack Smith, you've got Fonnie Willis, you've got Alvin Bragg, and then and then bringing up the other side on the civil side that could that could wreck his whole financial empire is Letitia James, the New York Attorney General. So people think, no, he doesn't care about these things. He does. He saw. Weisselberg, his longtime CFO, so long time that it was his father's CFO, chief financial officer. And he saw what he looked like when they carted him off in an orange jumpsuit to Rikers Island. And somewhere, even if it's microscopic, somewhere in the transom of Donald Trump's mind, he believes there's a chance one or more of these are going to be successful. And so he talks, he'll, he'll see what he can get away with, like a child on the, you know, burning his hand on the stove. But he's not going to go. So he's not so crazy that he's going to go debate and give fodder to the prosecutors. What do you think about that theory, Karen? I think you give him so much more credit than I would ever give him. <laughs> I think, um, you know, I, I think he doesn't go to the debate because he's kind of a coward. He, you know, he does. He thinks, oh, I'm winning. I don't have to show up. He doesn't want to answer tough questions, and he knows he's going to be the top. He's going to be the the star of the debate, whether he shows up or not, everyone's going to talk about him the entire time. You know, every, every, every question that like he's going to be the most talked about person tonight by every single person on there. So why go? Because what if he, he's not that smart, right? He, he looks kind of, when I hear him talk, I think he, he sounds ridiculous. And so why get up there? He's already in his mind, he's the, you know, the front runner. So why, why say something stupid and, and, 
have your numbers go down from there. He knows they're just going to, you know, eat each other alive and, and just talk about him. And so he, there's just no reason for him to go. And yes, of course, there's also that, you know, the, the issues he could say something, you know, that could, that could hurt him. But I don't think he thinks like that. He, to him, he thinks he, he thinks he can say anything and get away with it. So I think he makes, he's making some kind of calculation that it's just not, you know, he's going to say, oh, I don't need, I'm, gonna, I'm winning. And I don't even need to do something as stupid as that debate. So anyway, but speaking of the debate, I think people might want to go watch it. So, you know, we might want to, we might want to just stay tuned for August 28th when, uh, when Judge Chutkin gives us her trial date, when she tells us whether she's going to do the January 2nd, 2024 date that Jack Smith has asked for, or the April uh, 2026, which is two years from then, um, it, which is basically never, uh, is that going to be the date, you know, or something in between? And so I think we'll get some answers then. That's that's what I'm waiting for is, is that hearing. Yeah, I'd like people to go watch it, but we also have a podcast to put on, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna continue to talk a little bit more about it. Yeah, listen, I I you and I sometimes agree. Uh, no, I reverse that. We often agree. We sometimes disagree. The only reason I I your point is well made. He definitely doesn't want to do the debate because he doesn't have to. When you're forty points up, nothing says I don't need to go do a debate like that. In fact, I don't think Joe Biden should debate Donald Trump either, because I think he's forfeited the right, Donald Trump, to be on the same stage with Joe Biden being a four times indicted, twice impeached, once a judge sexual assault victim, assault sexual assault tormentor against a victim. I don't think he has any place on a debate stage. And I, I wouldn't fault Joe Biden for saying, you know what, the last time he came on the debate stage, he tried to kill me with COVID. And I'm not going to I'm not going to give you that. And people can make or very limited town hall. I don't talk to you. You stand across the way and it's in a really neutral territory. I think he's forfeited the right to even be the way he's the way he's uh, tormenting the RNC about, I don't want to debate and you got to make a commitment and this and that. I think Joe Biden says, you know what? I don't want to debate you either. How about that? How about we let the American people decide after my four years in office and your four years in office and your four years not in office and let them make the decision there? I don't think anybody would fault Joe Biden for saying that. It's not, yes, the the child inside me would like to see that debate. But but in terms of like what's best for the country, what's best for Joe Biden and democracy, I'd say screw it. You you forfeited. I don't want to see your your ugly ass on there. But he did cancel the press conference as well. It's somewhere in the back of his mind, his lawyers at least are concerned about a free for all at a debate and what it means for the prosecutions. Because if he was just worried about elected or not getting elected, we wouldn't we wouldn't have a show. We wouldn't be talking about uh, criminal prosecutions. And so. Um, but I don't want to underestimate him either. I mean, to make him into a cartoonish buffoon, which I'd love to do, is is to underestimate his ability. This is a guy that ran reasonably successful middling real estate firm in New York, was a reasonable successful talk show host slash celebrity apprentice, whatever that thing was supposed to be. And then everybody thought he couldn't become president of the United States. Not only one, but there's a fair amount of people in this country that thinks he should get in again. So uh, what do you think not, of the argument? Not my cup of tea, but you know he's not done too badly for a guy you know from Queens. Ugh, well, what what do you what do you think of the argument that he's not that he's disqualified or not qual he 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 can no longer run because of the Fourteenth Amendment Section Three? I agree what? with it. I did yeah. a whole hot I did a whole hot take 
on the two Federalist Society constitutional law professors who have written a 150-page law review article for the University of Pennsylvania Law Review, arguing right now without having self-executing, without Congress doing a darn thing, he is already disqualified. We're just right, waiting for the petition to remove him from the ballot because what he did is an insurrection and a rebellion against the Republic. And, and, and the good news is they've taken the position he doesn't have to be convicted of insurrection, which is good because nobody's charging him with the crime of insurrection. But doesn't or he have to be convicted of something because you're innocent until proven guilty? That's my only no. question. Is how can you? No. Well, okay. well, I'll do it the other way. He doesn't have to be convicted of seditious conspiracy or insurrection. It, I, I think that as of right now, the evidence and the way the 14th, we can get the 14th Amendment up there quickly. The way the 14th Amendment is written, I'm not sure he has to be convicted, although that was a position that I know Georgia took when they were trying to get rid of Marjorie Taylor Greene. I think if he gets convicted of any of these crimes, he is off the ballot. Their, their big argument was you, there's not another process. You don't have to go to Congress. Congress doesn't have to impeach and convict him, which is good because we'll never get that to happen. Um, and it can just be he he did the bad thing. The bad thing is in the Constitution for you now being disqualified and not that's a disqualifying event and you're off. But I think you're right without grabbing the 14th quickly. Uh, he's got to get convicted of something. But the good news is I don't think that something has to technically be rebellion. No, but there has or, to be a or, finding, right? You can't just in other words, someone has to there has to be some kind of finding that he did something. Well, the Jan that, 6 committee made a finding. Yeah, that maybe that counts. Yeah. I mean, but but here, why, why you know why why jerk around? We've got a second. I'm not concerned about the debate. Those that want to go to the debate can watch us later. Um, the only reason, by the way, the only reason I'm I'm going to watch the debate is because I think you know, as commentators, as people who you know comment on on all of the things that are going on regarding this, I think it's important that we can at least fight back some of the lies that will be that will be said. I'm not telling there. people that, not to watch it. I'm just not yeah. cutting our shows our shows short because of it, because our show lives on forever in in podcast world. <laughs> Article 14, 14th Amendment, Article Three does not require a conviction. As, as well, I thought, it says as an officer of the United States, they can't hold office if they've engaged, engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid and comfort to the enemies thereof. That That's not a criminal conviction beyond a reasonable doubt standard. That is a they have engaged. And I think nine sessions of the Jan 6 committee and all of the evidence already presented. And I think this is the what the two constitutional law professors said. It's already established that he has engaged. And now it's up for a judge with the evidence that's been presented to take him off the ballot based on an application of the 14th Amendment. The judge in Georgia that was dealing with Marjorie Taylor Greene back, wasn't that cute when they were trying to get rid of her? Uh, and this local judge that was like, I don't know, like a zoning official. He was like some municipal judge who was dealing with the issue of the ballots. And he said, no, I think she's got to be convicted of something. That's not what that's not what the Fourteenth Amendment says. And the good news about the two constitutional law professors who who are writing for the the UPenn Law Review is that that will then because that is two Federalist Society guys. One of them is just like all his entire um, expertise is on the Fourteenth Amendment. You can make an entire career in academia on this. Uh, and I went I went on his websites for both the law, the the both the uh, the professors. This will now be cited good and bad, by judges, 
in briefs, all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. These aren't two crackpots. These aren't two Democrats. These aren't two liberal progressives. These are two conservative Federalist Society. I'm sure they voted for Trump the first time around. Law professors who said it's, I mean, they spent 128 pages explaining it or whatever it was, but they're like, it's a no-brainer. He committed it. You don't go to Congress. It's self-actuating. He's off the ballot. He should be off the ballot. And now it's going to be up to somebody to test it. So somebody was standing, which I think is anybody in the general electorate, is going to be able to like bring an action when he's on a ballot. Right now, he's not on a ballot. Right now, he is not even a nominee yet. He's going to have to go through a primary system. But right at the moment when before they're printing the ballots and he wins all the delegates because all these other uh, sleepy, dopey, grumpy, whatever is running against him, like 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 last time, uh, lose. And he's and he, he is the nominee, the presumptive nominee. Then you bring the 14th Amendment Article 3 in, and, and, and we have a fight over that. By that time, maybe Jack Smith's case has already gone through. Now, if he doesn't get convicted of these things, he'll point to that as being, see, I wasn't an insurrectionist and a rebellion person. I was, I was absolved of that. But, you know, I don't think it's, let me put it this way. To answer your question, I don't think it's an academic debate. I think it's an important turn of events. The worm has turned against Donald Trump, where he's now lost Federalist Society, right-wing conservative uh, uh, scholars and constitutional law on the 14th Amendment Article 3 issue. And that's not a good place for him to be, because if his brain trust on the legal side is, to paraphrase a number of the other co-conspirators, Team Crackpot, Team Crazy, Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, Jenna Ellis, uh, Ken Cheesebro, uh, and the rest, versus these guys— they're done. They're dead. They're baked. Put a fork in it. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I just think there has <laughs> to be. No, no. I just look just I just think there has to be some kind of a, you know, maybe it's maybe the indictment counts, maybe the Jan 6 committee, you know, it has to be some kind of finding or accusation or, you know, you can't, you know, otherwise, how do you establish the fact that, he did, you know, that he in, gave aid or comfort or engaged in, right? Like, how, how do you, how do you but, but, establish that? But the that? framers didn't say convicted of the crime of seditious conspiracy. But they left it open on purpose. And if the originalists, which are the, the majority of the U.S. Supreme Court who believe you go back in time in a time machine and put yourself inside the head of the framers of the Constitution in the 1780s and 1790s, and that's what it means. Okay, the two guys that just wrote the Law Review article, they're originalists, and they did a textual analysis. And their takeaway, which I'm kind of remembering here as we go along, their takeaway is engaged in a rebellion purposely does not include the words convicted with uh, with beyond a reasonable doubt and due yeah. process under our constitution so may, because so if they wanted to write those words they would have written them in yeah so maybe it doesn't require conviction beyond a reasonable doubt but there has to be some finding uh, that he engaged you Chance know look six. The, the framers also didn't believe women had a right to vote. So, you know, I, I, I'm not 100 percent. Well, like, they also believed in slavery. But if we go exactly. there. Exactly. I'm just saying, you yeah. know, I think it's anyway. the Jan 6 committee. I think that's what yeah. the article kind of relies on because they're willing to say it now based on the evidence that's already been presented. It's not like we can bury our head in the sand and act like there was no evidence that was developed. Yeah, there was, that's true. There, there were a thousand witnesses that testified before the Jan 6 committee. Under there oath. is terabytes in, under yeah. oath. There's terabytes in terabytes. Now, 
Now, he didn't get the due process. He didn't get, I mean, he was invited to make presentations, Donald Trump and his lawyers, but they decided, along with the Republicans, to take the ball and go home, not understanding that there was still a game to be played without them. But um, yeah, yeah, I think I think thinking it through, I think a yeah. secretary of state could say, I find, based yeah. on the Jan 6 committee, that Donald Trump engaged in X, Y, Z, you know, and so therefore I'm removing from the ballot. That's all I'm yeah, saying. Is I, I like, I like be, that. Yeah. Yeah, we're saying the same thing. We're just saying, I just want to get people yeah. out of the head of, they got, it's got to be a conviction, yeah, yeah. which is sort of where we started. But I like what you just said. I think a secretary of state of an individual state who's responsible as an election official for printing a ballot would be the one. I've seen enough. Uh, and I and I and then have the challenge go up to the U.S. Supreme Court, and we'll finally figure out with this MAGA right wing Supreme Court uh, what they're going to do with Article Four, uh, the Fourteenth Amendment, Article Three. But um, I love this debate. We could keep going our debate all night long, but we're not going to. We're going to try to wrap it up here. Thanks for watching Legal AF with Karen Friedman, Ignifilo, and Michael Popak. Again, there's only one great way to support us if you like what we're doing. Go on to the Midas Touch YouTube channel, free subscribe there, get them to 2 million. Maybe you're the one that gets them to 2 million free subscribers and then listen to us on audio. That'll drop in about five hours all around the world. And then follow our hot takes that Ben, Karen, and I do throughout the week, throughout the day on cutting edge issues to keep you informed between hot takes. As I say on my hot takes now, you like hot takes, you're going to love our Legal AF podcast because I love it and I love being with you, Karen, every Wednesday and uh, Saturday. I'm going to be on with Ben, my Salas as well. Karen, last word. I'm going to go watch the debate. <laughs> okay. That's a good last word. Good night, everybody. Good night. So long, Legal AFers. Shout out to the Midas Mighty. <laughs>